Yeah, I'm actually an open book on that stuff. I don't I don't pull any punches or not share anything. And I do that because I realize and I realized this when I started this this business is that and that was about two and a half years ago, is that we need permission in a way to share some of our stories. I think there's a lot of guys who are wanting around with with thoughts and ideas and they're going through some stuff, man, whether that's their marriage or fatherhood or they're dealing with work or they're dealing with whatever, who knows? And there's thousands of things they could be dealing with. And and then we're, we're sold this like perfect picture on social media, right? I have to be in shape. I have to have the job. I have to have the cars. I have to have the, the girls. I have to have it all right. And if I don't, then I'm less of a man. And there's nothing wrong with aspiring to be those things. We should. We should aspire to have a good life, a successful life, a profitable life. We should aspire to do those things, but that doesn't negate the reality that we have some garbage to deal with. And so when I started this project two and a half years ago, I I really made it an objective and a goal to share the wins and the setbacks and the failures. And what's really fascinating is as I share the setbacks that I've gone through, those are more inspiring than the wins. Because people recognize that and they see, oh, this is this is a real guy like who's dealing with real stuff, the exact same set of garbage that I'm going through, and he's found a way to overcome that. So I think I can do it too. As opposed to the one with the silver spoon, and we look and we and he's painting this picture of everything's perfect and how wonderful he is, and you know, he's just living the charmed life, and it's like, well, that guy's just lucky. You know, he's probably not lucky, but he's painting the picture that he is. And he's not painting the entire story. And I've got I've got baggage. <laughs> I've got stuff that I've dealt with. I've I deal with being down on myself and comparing myself to other people and wanting more out of life than I have. And I sometimes am impatient with my kids or I yell or get upset and have to apologize down the road. Like these are all real things that guys are dealing with. And for me to pretend that stuff doesn't exist is disingenuous at best and damaging at worst. time for another great episode of my dad's podcast, Daddy Unscripted. My daddy is paying me under the table to let you all know what's in store. If you don't want anyone to overhear words like canoe and mother, we strongly suggest you use headphones for this episode. Now that you helped me earn a special treat from my dad, here he is with your treat, another podcast episode. Välkomna, which is welcome in Sweden. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and your podcast host for Daddy Unscripted. Welcome to all of the newcomers who may be joining us for the first time, and you may be a little confused. Why am I speaking in Swedish? Well, it's a little something I do to enhance everybody's lives a little bit with this podcast, just that extra little bonus for you, where I teach you how to welcome somebody in a different language on each episode. And you are very welcome for that. That is a free bonus for everyone. So for those of you who are not new, welcome back. And thank you very much for coming back. I am very excited about today's podcast guest. His name is Ryan Mickler. He is the founder of Order of Man, which I just feel like I have to do it in this in my movie voice. So here it comes. Order of Man. So Ryan was very gracious. I reached out to him. I discovered him and Order of Man on Facebook and extremely gracious to come on. And Ryan has a really fascinating, I use some of these words over and over again, but Ryan truly has a very fascinating history and something extremely unique to the podcast thus far. I was really happy because it took us a little while for us to work this into both of our very busy schedules, but we were able to make it happen finally. And there is a little bit of a weird time thing, but it's because I wanted to hold on to this until the Osiris Network launched. And I will remind you, this podcast, Daddy Unscripted, is part of the Osiris Network now. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans like you guys 
because a lot of you are huge music fans with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. So make sure you check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts. And you'll hear more about Osiris at the end of this episode. But for now, let us get to the conversation between myself and Ryan Mickler. All right, we are here today with an awesome guest. I'm really, really excited about this one. And the way that I kind of pulled Ryan into this was extremely random and all thanks again to social media, really, because I kind of stumbled on you through Facebook. And my guest is Ryan Mickler, who is the, you might have to correct me on this, Ryan, the I don't know what all titles you give yourself as the creator and founder of the Order of Man. Sure, that sounds good. I don't. I don't know that I really have an official title. I just. I'm just part of this movement. So yeah, found. I mean, I guess I founded it. So we'll, we'll call, our, yeah. call myself the founder of Order of Man. <laughs> founder, CEO, all of CFO, editor, cleaner. Yeah. I mean, you name it. I'm doing it all. <laughs> yeah, great. So the Order of Man. You can find Order of Man on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. And Ryan Mickler, M-I-C-H-L-E-R on Facebook as well, if you want to get in touch with him there, which is what I did. And also a big kudos to you for even uh, getting back to me and entertaining the idea of my much smaller than yours podcast. <laughs> I try to do that because I kind of feel like, I'm, I, and I know this might change the, the larger both of us get, but I feel like if somebody's going to reach out and take time to reach out and thank me for what we're creating here, then I feel like I'm at least obligated to respond back. I may not be able to make a podcast interview work, but I definitely want to respond back and connect. So happy to do that, man. Happy to make this thing work. Yeah, I love it. I, the, I've said it a few times, the community of podcasters is very important. And I think we all have that kind of, not responsibility, but it is a little group of people that is obviously beyond booming right now. Yeah. But I think for some of us that are not in movies and on TV regularly, the help that we give each other has always been something that I've taken note of and tried to pay it forward. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important. I mean, we've all been in a position where, <clears throat> excuse me, we've needed help and guidance and direction. And as much as I can make myself available, and it sounds like you feel the same way, then of course, I'm going to do that and try to try to do that the best I can. All right. Well, Ryan, uh, one of the main reasons that I'm really excited about this conversation is because of the completely unique to this podcast viewpoint that you're going to bring in your story and history, which I won't even tease at all. I'll just kind of <laughs> let you let you go right into it. So uh, as far back as that makes sense for you to go. Okay. So I mean, I've talked about it a little bit, but at the end of the day, my dad, unfortunately, was out of the picture by the time I was three years old. Um, he chose drugs and alcohol over me and my mother and my sister, and 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 that didn't work. Uh, I had, and you know what, to, to be fair, he did keep in touch and we had a semi good relationship. I think he was a good, a good person. Um, I just think there was some choices that he made that he probably regrets. And certainly I do as well. And that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but about the time I was eight or nine years old, I had another stepfather come into my life. Um, this stepfather was an alcoholic. He wasn't ever abusive, but just wasn't present. I remember there was glimpses of him being present and available. Uh, we would go to sprint car races together. And I remember what those were like. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, we'd also build Pinewood Derby cars together. In fact, I still have two of the Pinewood Derby cars that we built together, like an orange tiger one and a, like a deep maroon racing one. It's pretty cool. So I, I still got those. That's awesome. Uh, but like I said, an alcoholic, so it just wasn't present. I, I remember him and my mom getting in arguments. I got into arguments with him and that didn't work out. And then by the time I was 13 or 14 years old, I had another stepfather come into my life and he was verbally, emotionally abusive. I wasn't, wasn't that way to me necessarily. Uh, but he was definitely that way to my mother and my sister. And that was a, that was a fiasco. And I remember how that one actually came to a head and ended. Um, it essentially ended with my mom loading my sister and myself into our car and driving through the garage door, blazing down the street, him chasing us down the street. And he hit the passenger side window, which is the window on the, on the side that I was on. And I did the only thing I could do. I punched back and I punched and shattered through the window, sliced up, opened my hand and cut my hand and wow, 
just a crazy, crazy experience. So needless to say, you know, I didn't have a great father figure growing up Yeah. and I would look around in high school and I would see my, and this, and it didn't really hit me because sometimes you don't know, right? You're just in life and you don't know that it could possibly be different. And I remember in high school looking at my friends and they were doing the American dream father thing. You know, they were playing mm-hmm. catch on the lawn with their dads and going on camp outs. And I'm like, hey, I want that. You know, I didn't have that stuff growing up. And I, I really didn't know that this was as important as I believe it is now until I started having kids of my own. And of course, we can have that conversation. But even as a new father, man, I really, really floundered and almost threw my relationship with my wife and my six months old son away at the time. And through that experience, I've learned a lot about what it means to be a man and a father. And I I feel like we'll probably get into more of that, but that's, that gets you caught up, I think for the most part. Wow. Uh, I mean, the going from one to the next to the next of obviously different pitfalls for them, yet the same kind of result, it sounds like is intense, especially as you are in all of those formative years. Sure. And like you said, seeing all of the differences with your friends and schoolmates and all that kind of stuff, that's got to leave that definite sting in that little bit of a hole that's there by what isn't there, really. Yeah. And like I said, when when you're a kid, you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. I know a lot of guys like to say, I was in this horrible experience and it was miserable and this happened and that happened. And although I don't discount people have horrible and tragic upbringings, I, I didn't have that. I actually had a pretty good upbringing. My mom was always there. She was always present. There was never a time in my life where I thought that we weren't going to make the mortgage payment. I didn't even know what that uh, that was, you know, or food wasn't going to be on the table. I remember her working two and three jobs at a time to make ends meet and her being at every game that she possibly could. And I remember the love and support from her. And I remember her insistence on me being involved with sports, which was a big part of my masculine journey as a young man. So I didn't have a horrible upbringing. I just didn't have an example of what it meant to be a man. And that obviously translated into my life when I became a father and husband. Uh, but other than that, it was it was great. I, I feel like I grew up just like every other kid grows up, you know, and has a happy, not every kid, but has a happy life and parents who are supportive. You know, I had that stuff. So on one hand, it was hard. And then on the other hand, it was it was really good. And I didn't know any different. And your mom, do you feel like she was kind of putting forth a different level of effort because of what was going on with all of your stepdads? Or do you think that she was trying to just make ends meet really? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, she like I said, she there was never a point in my life where I felt like, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have we don't have food or we don't have a place to stay. There was I'd never had that in my life. There was some scary moments and times. So I, I don't know. I mean, that'd probably be a pretty good discussion to have with her because uh, I'm sure that she struggled a lot in silence and solitude for the most part and didn't have maybe somebody to rely on as a husband. Yeah. And, you know, probably probably did go through that, but she did the best that she could to make sure that my sister and I were were very well taken care of. And we were all because of her. Yeah. And your is your sister younger? She's or younger. Older She's you? younger. She's three years younger than I am. Okay. And have you talked about these kind of things with her and how that not having a dad or, you know, a constant and strong, good father around affected her? My sister specifically, is that what you know? Yeah, we've talked about that. We've talked about that. And unfortunately, she's been in multiple marriages and she's married to a really good guy now, but she's been in multiple marriages and and that probably stems from the same the same issue. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, you know, I, I'm really cautious on this conversation because a lot of the times it, it almost comes across as maybe somehow, you know, I didn't have the same opportunity or that my my childhood was rough. And although maybe it was to some people, it certainly wasn't to other people. But there's also a time where your excuses expire, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I could I could go back and say, well, my dad wasn't around. And so I deserve to be this way and I'll never amount to anything. But it's all because my dad wasn't around. No, that's not that's not the way it is. Like when we become cognizant and aware and become adults, like at some point we have to let go of our excuses. And I'm not discounting that those things happened. They did. But what can you learn from them? How can you grow from them? And how can you finally let go of them in order to become your own man and create your own path, which is the path that I'm on right now? Yeah. And taking those steps is, it, it sounds so easy to say it. 
And I know there are a lot of people that have that struggle with just kind of getting out of that cycle and stepping out of that pit themselves, you know, and, and it, it does sound easy for us to say, and I totally get what you're saying about this being kind of a not touchy, but an interesting subject, because it is difficult for those people. And I and I get that too. And you know, I, I lived through some abuse as a child, not from my parents, but from a non family member. And there was a time when I kind of let that affect me. And I did kind of say, I think this is happening because of that. But yes, there comes that time where you I don't I don't know if I want to say man up. Uh, that's actually a great word. I know everybody's afraid of that phrase or think that it thinks that it's quote unquote toxic. It's not toxic. It's toxic if you don't have the right meaning of it. But at the end of the day, man up means to take accountability, take responsibility, take ownership for the mistakes in your life, toughen up mentally, emotionally, physically, and get the job done. Because at the end of the day, as men, that's exactly what we're required to do. Does that mean that we can't be vulnerable or share our emotions or be soft at times? No, of course. I I wouldn't argue that we can't be those things. We should be those things at times. But then there's also a time where we do need to, quote unquote, man up because things need to be done. And if that offends somebody, too bad. That's the reality of the situation is that there's men are men and they're supposed to step up. And that's our job. So that's the exact right term. And I think you used it correctly. Well, fortunately, I didn't say cowboy up. Right, right. That's a little different, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think I tried to use that at work uh, last week. And then I thought, I don't really want to use that. Yeah, I like man ever. (laughs) There's never an acceptable time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you're going through all of that. And you are, you were telling me earlier that you moved out to Utah some 20 plus years ago. Was that before you were married? Yeah. Yeah. So that, so I was actually, I was 13 or 14 years old. So when my mom got married to my third stepfather, excuse me, my second stepfather, uh, I don't have a third stepfather. Uh, we moved to a small Utah town from a big California town. And part of the reason for that is I was getting into some trouble and almost got expelled from school and getting into fighting and I was drinking. I mean, I was young and I was drinking and doing this stuff and Mm -hmm. it was, it was bad. And so when my mom got remarried, her and her new husband decided to move us to, like I said, a small Southern Utah town. And it was the best move I ever could have made. I remember when I made the move, it was horrible. I hated it. It's like the movies, but I, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. And so I moved there as a freshman in high school and did high school there. And then right after high school, I, I joined the National Guard. And so went to basic training and then moved away about an hour away, which is where I live now. So I haven't, I haven't ventured very far. Okay. But definitely coming out of California and being in Orange County, going to small town Utah is obviously a a huge life transition. Yeah, big shell shock for sure. There was more kids in the high school that I would have went to than the entire population of the town I moved to. Oh my goodness. So when I moved there, I remember waking up one morning, it must have been three or four o'clock in the morning to this awful noise. And I thought, what is that noise? And I looked outside because my, my upstairs window faced the street. And I looked down, speaking of cowboys, there was cowboys, like real legitimate cowboys driving hundreds of head of cattle down my road. Wow. And I'm like, what, where did we move? And I just remember being so upset about that. And now that's commonplace and I can appreciate and respect that lifestyle for sure. Right, right. So you move out, you go through your high school years, you go into the National Guard. And how how big was that change for you? I mean, did, did going into the National Guard, did that kind of create a different level of responsibility and respect and all of those kind of... You know, I, I would say no to that. Obviously, it, it went a little bit further in depth, but... I mean, my mom was disciplined. There was always consequences for what we did. Uh, I spent a lot of time playing football and baseball and wrestling. And so our coaches were tough and they were hard on us. And there was discipline and there was requirements on and off the field that were required to be met. So I had a lot of discipline. I had a lot of structure. And that geared me up and prepared me for the military. 
In fact, I, I actually really thrived when I went to basic training, uh, finished the, the, at the top of my class. I really thrived in that condition and that discipline and level of dedication and commitment and, and everything that's needed to succeed in the military is the exact same skill set that's helped me succeed in other areas of my life. So it was a really good experience for me and it just doubled down what I already knew and what I was already exposed to. Cause I think at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about fatherhood and things like that. And we'll get into that more. You know, I look at my job as, as the ability to render myself obsolete. That's my job is to put myself out of a job. And I don't think a lot of parents these days really look at it that way. They think they're supposed to coddle and bubble wrap and protect and preserve their kids and keep them from any consequences of their actions. I actually think it's the opposite. I think you're supposed to expose them to the consequences, positive and negative, of their actions in a controlled environment so they don't hurt themselves or permanently do damage to themselves or any opportunities they may have so that they can see that this is real life stuff here. And that way, when they go to leave the nest, it isn't like this big shell shock and the world slaps them in the face and then they come crawling home with their le- you know tail tucked between their legs and then live with mommy and daddy at their basement for the next 10 years. That's not how it's supposed to work. And yet we see that trend growing and growing because parents are too weak to treat their children the way they need to be treated. Mm-hmm. Now that you say that little f- sentence, it is something that is absolutely growing. Like I see it more and more as I'm getting older and seeing these kids. I think the joke used to be like that it was, or the cliche that it was the nerds who are living in their mom's basement. And uh, which ironically is what I thought of all podcasters when I first started listening (laughs) to podcasts. Well, I'm down here in my basement, but it's not my mom's basement. It is my basement. So but, you know, I, I think now, like, I see that even with some of the people that I work with, and I'm not dissing them, but I have a staff of close to 40 people, and a lot of the youngsters, I can say that, uh, that work here do live with their parents and do have that safety net. And we see the struggle that they have, and a lot of it is based on finances sure because you know this working in an animal hospital doesn't it's not a huge paycheck or anything like that but you do see a lot of that fall back and that is where where am i going to go when things get tough and who's going to help me out and whoops i just forgot to pay my car insurance <laughs> or whatever and get into that cycle of you know not having enough money to do that and getting pulled over and getting a ticket and blah 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 and then everybody ends up, you know, I just moved back to my parents' house. Right. And the reason they do that is because that option is available. Right. If that option was not available, they would make something work because they have to. Like, what is the alternative? And, and so that's what we need to expose our children to. Like, if you mess up, if you don't take the trash out or you don't get the homework done or one incident we had with our oldest, he didn't get his chores done in the morning. And so he had to walk to school because he was late. He's like, no, I'll finish them later. No, we said you would finish them now. And so you're going to walk to school because you didn't get them done. So finish your chores and then walk to school. Well, my teacher will be mad. Yeah, probably. Maybe you'll think twice about dinking around in the morning. So my wife took the other kids to school and sure enough, he walked to school. That was the consequence and he knew what it was and we stuck to the consequence and now he understands. And guess what? He's a little faster with his chores in the morning because he wants a ride. So it only happened once, but you can't be so spineless that you just save your kids from every scenario there possibly is. Yeah, there is definitely that trickle down effect as well. And, and what we see now as parents and what we recognize that we don't recognize as kids, as sons, and for some of you as daughters, as having an effect, but now you start to see it. It is that cliche of people becoming parents and then it hitting them in the face or somewhere in above the uh, neck area (laughs) about what their parents were doing or what their parents weren't doing and the ramifications and effects of that. And, you know, taking a few minutes to think about those things and think, okay, as a parent, these are the cause and effect scenarios that are going to come into play. And the consequences that may or may not take place later on in life or currently that are those difficult decisions 
Yeah, I'm, they they have to be able to make those decisions down the road. And if you're not allowing them to make decisions and reap the benefits or the consequences of those decisions, you're doing them a disservice. Yeah, I, I've talked about it a few times on here, I think just lightly touched on it. And I've had this conversation so many times with parents of making that distinction of friend versus parent and how how important that decision making process is and being able to lay down the law, however that may be for you, uh, as opposed to like just being the buddy and being the you know, two parents that are good cops and what that equates to currently and later on, later on in life for your kids. Yep. I, I agree completely. hundred percent. All right. So you are then getting out of the national guard and where does your life go from there? So I spent about five years, maybe close to six years in the national guard as my wife and I, well, so I got married and we had, were married for, I'm trying to think here, it was about four or five months. And we moved to back to Southern California, my new bride and I, because I was managing clothing stores while I was in the National Guard. So we moved down to Southern California. The company I was working with asked me to open a store up. We did open that store. Four months later, my National Guard unit actually gets activated. And hmm. so my wife moved back home with her parents and I went to... Iraq. I was gone for a total of 18 months, wow. six months training stateside, and then 12 months in uh, Iraq. And yeah, like I said, that was that was five months after we got married. So it was a big shock. It was a big adjustment, two big adjustments, essentially. And then even coming back, that was very, very difficult. Coming back, getting used to each other, going like all of a sudden you're married again. You're like, wait, wait a second. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really, really big challenge for us coming back. So we had a lot of adjustments in that short, very short period of time. A period of two to three years was, was a lot of learning and growing for us, definitely. Which already is a difficult enough time without all of that change. Of course. I mean, it's difficult and you're kids and you've got to worry about yourself and other people and make the mortgage payment. And uh, it's, it's a difficult thing enough as it is, like you said, and then you add that other dynamic to it and it makes it a very big challenge. And it certainly was for us. And how, what year was that that you were out there in Iraq? So I was in Iraq in 2005 and 2006. Okay. So then you are coming back and and how long after that is it before you have your first son? Uh, it was about two years before we had our first son because we went through the, the newlywed phase again. So we wanted to enjoy and experience right. and travel and do fun stuff. And so we waited a little while. We waited a couple of years before we had our first son. Nothing wrong with that. No, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think people, you know, and, and in my culture too, I mean, I'm, I'm LDS, I'm Mormon. Um, and it, it's really interesting, especially in being in Utah, in our culture, it's really encouraged to get married fast. Like a lot of these, mm -hmm. a lot of these boys will come off their, their church mission. So we encourage our, our young men to go serve a two year church mission and, and young women as well. Mm -hmm. And so these young men and young women will come home and, and there's like a lot of societal pressure to hurry and get married. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, once they're married, there's a lot of pressure to hurry and pop out a bunch of kids. Mm -hmm. I don't subscribe to that. I think first and foremost, you ought to wait. You know, you got school and you, you're still a kid. And you really haven't experienced much of life. So if you're dating, great. But I don't know if you should hurry and get married. And if you, when you get married, I, don't, I certainly don't think you should have kids right away. I think, I think you should wait. Now, I know every dynamic is different and everybody has their own objectives and goals, but like, I don't think you should rush to do that stuff, make an intentional decision on those big life-altering choices that you've got to make. Yeah, and, and especially because missions are done right after high school or is it after college that typically the kids are sent out? Well, it was 19, but that age has actually been changed to 18. So depending on when they turn 18, they can go right after school. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them will go right after high school and a lot will do like a semester of college before they hit 18 and then, and then they'll go. So you can go as early as 18 years old. Yeah. So you're talking about a lot of people potentially having kids at 21. Right. Exactly. It's early. That's young. Just, yeah. There's, I, I don't know about you, but I was not ready to be a dad at 21 yeah, years old. No, I wasn't. I wasn't ready when we, when we started having kids, let alone, um, which was <laughs> yeah. when I was 20. Let me just think about the timeline here. Uh, I was 25, uh, 27. Is that right? How old am I now? Yeah. 27. <laughs> when we started having kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is which is a pretty solid age, which as a as a man makes you around 25, probably. That's right. Exactly. Yep, exactly. It's always a couple of years behind. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, dog years versus That's right. man years. <laughs> whatever. You were saying that after having your first child, that it was a massive struggle that you almost threw away that relationship. I've got, I've got baggage. (laughs) I've got stuff that I've dealt with. I've, I deal with being down on myself and comparing myself to other people and wanting more out of life than I have. And I sometimes am impatient with my kids or I yell or get upset and have to apologize down the road. Like these are all real things that guys are dealing with. And for me to pretend that stuff doesn't exist is disingenuous at best and damaging at worst. I think it's so huge for men in general, because not only are we given this categorization on us of not being communicators and not being good communicators with the opposite sex or with our significant others or with anybody in general, but then we end up kind of falling into that a little bit and not wanting to just get down into the muscle of stuff a lot of times. And I think we end up kind of being the, if I say kings, then that's gender related, but we end up being the best at small talk. And a lot of times that's where all of that stands. And I've even, I'm very guilty of this because with some of my very good friends, I will come back from a day of hanging out at a barbecue with a few of them. And I'll think to myself, wow, my really good friend of 10 plus years that I didn't dig into anything deeper than talking baseball or whatever with him. Like he has a brand new job and I didn't once ask him how it's going. Yeah. I actually have a hard time with that. My wife can attest to this is when I go out with friends or we go on a date or whatever. And it's like, they sometimes the conversations like I don't want to talk about the game mm-hmm. or the weather or I don't I don't care about those things. Yeah. Like I want to have a real conversation. What's going well? What isn't going so well? Why do you think that way? Oh, you think differently than me? Cool. What like what? How? Oh, that's weird. Why do you think about it that way? Mm-hmm. Like I'm really really genuinely curious about what other people are experiencing and that has very little to do with their favorite baseball or football team or what you know the things that we have a tendency to talk about. I just don't want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. You said something in one of your episodes that I'm right in the middle of right now, uh, which was your, uh, I think it's episode maybe 238, sorry, 138, your round table about political correctness. Oh yeah. 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 With the guys from mind pump media. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a fantastic quote that they even paused on for a second, which was either, Aristotle or Socrates, something about uh, the measure of a man. Oh yeah, I think I think the and I'm going to misquote this, but it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Is that what yes. you're talking about? Yes. And I, I I rewound and played it again because I wanted to just let it settle in for a second. That's a really great quote and so very true. Well, and I wish more people would would take it to heart. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, just look on Facebook. Pull up Facebook right now. Anybody that's listening, pull up Facebook and you're bound to find somebody who's arguing about politics or gender fluidity or what? Pick something and they're arguing about it. And yeah. it's like, we don't have to argue about this. You know, like I can disagree with you and still respect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think you're kind of off or even strange in your thinking and still appreciate the fact that you're a human being. And it's amazing that people just have the, the, the complete lack of emotional maturity to be able to handle adult conversations. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. I've said it a few times. The number of people that I know that have just basically ended friendships yeah. and long-term relationships and even, you know, obviously not ended family relationships, but kind of hidden people from everything and uh, kind of discounted the person entirely because of that difference of opinion in something. And and I'm not discounting this. Like some of these opinions are very big issues and big things. But like you said, or somebody said on on that episode, like unless you're doing physical harm to somebody 
or whatever, like the ability that you should be able to have to have those conversations. And as I'm saying this, I'm kind of saying it to myself a little bit too, because I haven't done a lot of the hiding of people or anything like that. But I know that I still do some eye rolling at people when I see things that they are putting up or whatnot. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's kind of human nature, but you know, yeah. I mean, take, take one, like the, the, gender topic that's so relevant right now. Like I don't, I don't really subscribe and believe to a whole lot of the dialogue that's being had. And yet I am genuinely curious why somebody would think completely opposite of me and believe that they're right just as much as I believe I'm right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's really mm -hmm. fascinating to me. And so I'm, I'm, I want to know where they're coming from and it's going to do one of two things. And both, both things, if we're mature about it are positive outcomes. Number one, I'm going to learn something new. That's going to enhance my life. That's a win. The, mm -hmm. the alternate to that is that I'm going to hear something and it's only going to solidify my conviction as, as to what I believe. And that's also a win. Right. So it's okay to be able to have these conversations and, and just not completely explode. And, and then there's the finger pointing like, oh, it's this side of the aisle. It's that side of that. No, it's both sides of the aisle are doing it. Knock it off. But the other side of this is we're actually encouraged in a lot of ways to be extreme and to be outrageous, especially through social media, because it gets more attention than just being the moderate, like normal human being that most of us are. But that doesn't right. garner any attention. It's the extreme, outrageous, outlandish claims that does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's been probably, I don't know, I'd have to look back through my posts, but in the course of this year, I would say it probably 20 times or something, I've made some kind of post either on Twitter or on something and basically just in a way throwing my arms up a little bit and just saying, God, we just, we, and, and not just a, can't we all just get along kind of thing, but saying how much human generosity, love for our fellow human being and gentle kindness is a word that people never utter anymore, how much that can help each other to be able to walk through these issues as well. Like you think this thing and I think this thing, let's talk about it in a civil manner and explain our positions. And instead of the, I mean, straight up violence that's taking place. Right. Well, and I think a lot of that stems from, I, I do believe that a lot of people think others are out to get them and <laughs> they're not mm -hmm. like nobody for the most part, nobody's out to get you. Your boss doesn't hate you. The people down the road don't try to sabotage you. I mean, we make up a lot of that stuff and it almost feels, it feels very real. And the reality mm -hmm. is more, most people just care about themselves and theirs and they're just trying to take care of themselves. And there may be some collateral damage from that and some fallout from that, but nobody's, nobody's out to get you. You're not the victim. The more that you play the victim, the more you think you are the victim. Just just live your life, do your thing, be happy, and and do what you know you should be doing. I think too, like that the ability to be okay with the idea, again, unless there is physical harm or whatever that is coming out of this, the ability to understand that people are thinking different things, and it doesn't mean that you have to be the one or that you have to change their mind on it you know like if sorry i know we talked about sports being kind of superficial but if kyrie irving wants to believe that the earth is flat like what is what is going to happen from that like it's right it just makes him a, a kind of a like a strange thinker and like that's it you know? <laughs> like yeah. there's nothing more to it and you know he's going to get made fun of or teased or whatever and like ridiculed and then like that's it like there's nothing about that thought of his that is going to impact your life nothing yeah so yeah. focus on the things that you can control and don't even worry about that yeah weird example but <laughs> that was one of the most innocent ones I could But it's true. And you know what's crazy is people argue about that stuff. It's like, why are you arguing about this? We all know the truth. So if somebody says something else, just leave them alone and focus on your own stuff. Yeah. Until he starts trying to throw people off the end of the world to prove his point, which you obviously can't do. So I guess we shouldn't be too upset about that. Right. But Right. <laughs> Who knows? Weird. Yeah. Uh, so going, going back, we just kind of fishtailed off into something, but you were going to talk about kind of what took place with your, oh, having yeah. your first child. Yeah, we did veer off on that, didn't we? Uh, it's okay. Yeah. So long story short, 
we we had a six month old son. That was our first, and we got my wife and I got into an argument one evening. I don't even remember what the argument was about. I'm sure it was something that was unimportant. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to her the words, I don't even want to be married anymore. Mm-hmm. And she agreed. And so the next morning she left. I was supposed to do some training in, in Northern Utah that next morning. And I actually got on the road and started going up there. And I thought, man, what are you doing? Like your wife's leaving you. She's taking your six month old son. Mm-hmm. And so I turned around and tried to convince her to stay. And by then it was too late. She was like, no, I'm gone. And for a long time through our separation, I blamed her. How could she do this? Why was she being disloyal? Why would she take her kid away from me? Why didn't she appreciate all the things that I did for the family? And it was all on her. Mm -hmm. And about three or four months into our separation, I just, I came to this thought through thinking that through this over and over and over again, that, you know what, maybe there's two at play here. Maybe she's got some stuff to deal with it. Uh, But so do I. And -hmm. I had completely overlooked that and put it on the back burner and dismissed any responsibility and obligation and in fault, frankly, that I had in the demise of our relationship to that point. And it was a very liberating thought for me at that point because I had come to the conclusion that the marriage was over. I didn't want it to be over, but I just thought with where we were, like the marriage was over. And as difficult as that notion was to wrestle with, it was actually very liberating because for the first time in our relationship, I stopped focusing on her because there was, I, I felt like, well, there's nothing I can do. So I stopped focusing on her and instead I just went to work on myself. And I remember vividly thinking to myself, this may, this relationship may be over, but I'm going to be a great catch for the next woman to come into my life. Mm-hmm. And I started surrounding myself with guys who were successful with their health, with their business, with their money. Uh, I started listening and consuming CDs. Podcasting wasn't really, it's kind of like on the verge right there. So CDs. Uh, reading good books, like just consuming myself with new environments and new scenarios and new information that enhanced my life. And it was really interesting. As I went to work on myself through the new stimulus, through the new input, she responded to that. And she hadn't responded to anything up to that point. Mm -hmm. And that's how we create influence. See, I think a lot of people think that we can manipulate and coerce and move and lead people to do what we want them to do. But at the end of the day, you can only influence people. Mm -hmm. And the best way to influence another person is to be influential, which means that you need to become more than you currently are. You don't need to change another person. You need to change yourself. And then that person will inevitably respond to the person that you've become positive or negatively. It works both ways. If you've become more of a jerk for whatever reason, then you're going to attract jerks. If you've become uh, more experienced or more financially successful or healthier, healthier, excuse me, then you're going to attract those types of people and they're going to be influenced by you. So it was really fascinating. As I went to work on myself, she responded to that. Long story short, uh, we ended up salvaging our marriage. And it's a testament to the fact that the more that you change yourself, the more that you uh, can influence others and create a positive outcome in your life. I'm not saying that's going to happen for everybody, but there's no negative side effect of working on yourself, right? Right, Like even if our relationship and our marriage did not work out, it still would have been okay because now I'm fully capable on my own two feet of standing. And again, being that catch for the next woman to come into my life. Uh, We celebrated this year, our 13 year wedding anniversary. And depending on when you release this episode, uh, we will be going, or we will have just gotten back from a three-week Hawaiian vacation as a family. Mm-hmm. We've got four kids. I mean, life is pretty good, although we have some challenging times. Mm-hmm. But it's because I choose to focus on myself and improving myself and allow my wife and children to respond and be influenced by the man I'm trying to become. Yeah, which obviously is now widespread monumentally beyond just your family and something that you know has kind of created this movement. So as you said it, amongst all of these other men and and some of which I'm sure are are or were already kind of on that path and you're kind of putting more stucco on their house and other people who you are helping build from the ground up who, who are not or were not at all in that place, which is phenomenal. And that, and that I think is one of the things that I kind of immediately started responding to when listening to your podcast and reading some of the stuff that you posted just and even today as I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and I was listening to the uh intro 
that the voiceover gentleman, I, I don't know. That's sure. That, yeah. Name voiceover gentleman. That's what I yes. call him in my head. That's his, that's his name. That's him. Um, <laughs> I, I assume he's wearing like a seven piece suit and has a monocle and uh, rode in on one of those front big wheel, small back wheel bicycles. <laughs> Sounds good. I ought to put together like an image for that or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. and voiceover gentleman, VOG of the Order of Man. He's the Vogue, that's right. But when I was listening to his thing and thinking about how you pieced that together and with intent or without and thinking this is almost like a subliminal message because of the way that you have written it and the way that he's saying it and... I think this weekend is when I started to finally feel that. And and I legitimately was listening in my car and kind of sat my myself up straighter while I was listening to his admonition. And I think it's fantastic. And I think that that's kind of what your podcast generally does. And that's what I get out of it is it's very uplifting and upbuilding. And, you know, kind of, it is kind of like, a parenting style to it because it is instructional. And like you said before, like it is not pulling punches. You are not gently, you know, uh, what is the word I want to use? Caressing people with your words. You are. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) You are giving, giving it straight as it, as it should be. And, And I think that the whole thing is just a fantastic package of that for men of, building you up, making you feel that strength and potentially like kind of pushing you out into the world or out of the nest of listening a little bit so that you are going out there with uh, that kind of renewed, regained strength or whatever it may be. So I just want to say fantastic work on that, but also... Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. What then led into the creation of that for you? Well, for me, it was, it was, I felt I had something unique to offer. You know, I had this story that I grew up without a father figure and, and I'm learning how to be a dad myself and a couple of uh, floundering business. My, my financial planning practice wasn't doing all that well at the time. And I had learned and turned that around and learned some new things there. Of course, salvage the marriage, like we talked about, there was so much going on. And I thought to myself, man, how did I do this? And the more that I had conversations with other guys about what was going on in my life, the more that they would come out and tell me like, oh man, I'm dealing with the same thing. You know, I went through a separation or I went through a divorce or my business is failing or my, I'm not excited about my health. And so I started looking around and consuming more and more information about this, just being a better man in general. And what I see in the world, even today, still two and a half years later, which is not a long time, is I see a lot of great information out there. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of great information about how to be a better father, how to be a better man, how to get your finances in order, how to get your your health and your fitness in order, all of it. It's all out there. And if that's the case, why is there still so many men, myself included at the time, that aren't doing what they know they should be doing? It's not the lack of information. It's the lack of application. Mm-hmm. So... I thought to myself, well, this is great. This is an opportunity for me to create a solution to a problem. And that is, how do you apply what you know? How do you turn knowledge into applicable wisdom? And so when I started Order of Man, it was a goal of banding together thousands and millions of men across the planet where we could all, yes, learn new things from each other, but then actually apply what is being learned. And of course, that's morphed into a brotherhood that we call the Iron Council and there's accountability and calls and things like that. But it was really for me an opportunity to fill the void between what we know we should be doing and what we're actually doing. And when you insert yourself between a problem and a solution and you add value, you make yourself very valuable and indispensable in a lot of people's lives. And we've been fortunate enough to build a movement of millions of people across the planet. Which is so cool. Like how rapidly it all took form for you and obviously the sheer numbers of how many people are involved with it just screams out what the need was and how much it was there 100 i mean i i really didn't believe or or anticipate it taking off as quickly as it has and it's a testament to the fact that we did some things right no doubt we did some things right 
but there's also this void in men's lives and they need a manly way to fill that void, a masculine way to fill that void. Because what we're getting now outside of what I'm trying to create and what you're trying to create is this very soft, effeminate, feel good, vulnerability, emotional journey that men aren't interested in taking. I'm not interested in that because I can get that everywhere. What I want is I want something tough. I want something rugged. I want an activity. I want to be engaged and I want to be told straight what I need to do, where I'm falling short and how I can improve my life. And this, this very soft way of approaching the problems we're dealing with is not doing anybody, men or women, any justice. Mm -hmm. And you can see, I mean, I, I've heard you talk about it quite a bit on your podcast and you do, you do see it. There is a very huge variation between men today. And I talk about it with my dads and with my dads about their grandparents, even as we talk about the generation differences and we talk mm -hmm. about how different men were, how different husbandry was, how different fatherhood was and i think there's been a lot of good changes you know the improvements course, from the course. 1950s dad who you know sits in in his wife beater tank top on his chair smoking in the living room and drinking his beer and having his wife bring his food to him and whatever you know the, the <laughs> cliche that we all see in movies and tv all the time sure uh, but that we hear about you know i hear about that quite a bit from the dads that I talk with, that that was a lot of their circumstance. You know, their dad was a, a lever puller, basically, or was working in some kind of industry and working at night and coming home and just kind of that was his new sit down place. And how much the differences are now are, are good in some ways. But yes, we also get so distracted and allow so many other things to pull us away from from what our quote unquote duties are and you know I shouldn't even really put that in air quotes because they're real there are all of those duties that we have to our family and you bring up a really good point there because what happened I think is that there was men knew what who they were and they knew what they should be doing and modern times are wonderful. They're great. There's so many advancements and so many luxuries. And you have women who are entering the workforce, which I think is a great thing. And you have uh, women who are, who are leading their families, their businesses, communities. I think that's all a wonderful thing. And then we're over here on the side like, wait, 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 wait. That was our job. Mm -hmm. And now I think there's a lot of men out there who are like, what, what do we do? I don't know what to do. And they're not saying that, but they're experiencing that. They're feeling that. And they feel lost. Like, Oh man, like I, I, I don't know. And they become to feel inadequate in their lives. And what I would submit is that our responsibilities and obligations are still the same, but the way that we go about doing those things might differ. So if you look at what men's role in society has traditionally been dating back thousands and thousands of years, protectors, providers, and presiders. So protector, obviously, we protect the pack. We protect the family. We protect the tribe. That's why we're, generally speaking, bigger and stronger than women. There's no arguing that. That's just the reality. So we are designed to be protectors. Uh, the other side of this is providers. When I talk about provision, I'm talking about, yes, financial provision. I'm talking about mental, emotional, spiritual uh, support as well. There's other ways to provide outside of financially. And then preside, that last component of it, is leadership. So being an authentic leader, being a real leader, like caring about people, having vision, having the structure, having the processes in place, keeping discipline and, and, and those types of things in check so that we as a family or a business or a community can accomplish big things. That has not changed. Men are still those three things, protectors, providers, presiders. We just need to figure out a new way to approach it in order to fulfill our responsibilities. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I see it. You know, the times when I'm not as forthright or not as strong on an opinion or a decision or whatever, I I can kind of see it in my wife where it's like, well, you just, like we said before, will you just man up and yeah. make this decision or will you just, you know, do this for our kids or will you back me in this decision or whatever thing that may be, I can see that disappointment and I think I think a lot of times, 
Uh, I'm getting better at this, fortunately, but my wife isn't here, so she can't roll her eyes to tell me if that's true or not. (laughs) But I think there is that time where many men potentially feel that and it becomes that cycle where you don't rise above that. You feel their disappointment and then that makes you disappointed in yourself and then that becomes that that little pit of despair that, like I said, I, I know that your work really emboldens men and gives and empowers them to be able to claw out of and not feel like that means that they are becoming overly dominant or anything like that. Like it's it's that embracing of that role that doesn't it doesn't mean if you wear the pants in the family or if you are the like you said the presider in the family that doesn't mean that you are having to stomp everybody under your boot right. that just means you are controlling things in in the way that they need to be controlled exactly yep that's exactly right so i am this was another reason why i was uh, very excited to have you on is because i'm a very emotional being i am a very sensitive man to the point where people have called me a mangina and i have Mm. laughed about it and 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 even said it you know i've said like i my wife and i'll kind of joke about it and she'll say do you want you probably want to watch the notebook tonight don't you (laughs) because i'm very sentimental and i'm very you know emotionally driven as well and so for me like i am absolutely trying to now in my 40s like continue to step into that bigger role with my family with my kids that are at that time where i think my daughter who's 9 years old is starting to kind of sense things in a very different way and putting things together you know connecting a lot of the dots that my son isn't at 5 years old mm-hmm. but i know full well you know i have full recollection of my year five and my year nine and whatever. And so as an adult, I know that I can look back at those times and remember how I was treated, whether it was by, you know, family, friends, parents, whatever, and how that makes me feel now as an adult. And I think, you know, that's, that's always been a big drive as to why I am doing this podcast in the first place, but also like, I I have to continue to be cognizant of that and how my actions, words, or non-actions affect my kids now and and how they will look back on that when they are my age. Yeah, well, and I I think there's, I think you know yourself pretty well too, which is important. A lot of people don't know themselves, men or women. They don't know how they tick, how they respond, how they work, how they operate. And the more that you can get clear with that and understand what that actually looks like for yourself – the better you can use it as a strength and an advantage as opposed to a disadvantage. So, you know, can a man be emotional and feelings? Yeah, of course. I, I personally am, am not quite like that. I'm on the other side of the spectrum, but that, that doesn't mean that either one of us is wrong or that we can't learn from other sides and, and be one way or the other based on what the situation calls for. And I think that's the biggest hangup because a lot of guys like the quote unquote macho guys We'll look at a guy who's who has who's sensitive or has these feelings or maybe even like the artist cliche artist, if you will, and think, well, that's not a man. It's like, well, not really. I mean, a man is a protector, provider, presider. So if if that's what the situation calls for, like if I need to hug my son because he's having a hard day and I can teach him a lesson through kindness and compassion, then that's being a man. And if at other times I need to be a little bit harder on him or her because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And, and it moves the needle in the right direction for them and enhances their life, then that's being a man. So we need to learn to use both ends of the spectrum to varying degrees in order to accomplish the task at hand, whatever that task may be. Yeah, I think, I mean, that is the, you use some of the perfect descriptors because I always have been that artistic, creative type from childhood, basically. And I I always had that difficult time through childhood of trying to find that line of character. And it wasn't a a trait of mine at all. And so it was one that I was trying to find. I like the way you're doing this because you have 
self-confidence and that line of confidence versus being egotistical or arrogant. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think that as a late teenager in my 20s as well was one of my biggest things that really made me struggle as a male was I'm, I'm not like that. I don't, I don't have that bold arrogance and seeing the kind of fuzzy line between that in somebody's very decent and good and strong self-confidence as opposed to like just straight up a-hole arrogance, you know? Yeah. You don't want to be so, so extreme that you're actually in a way sabotaging yourself, whether that's sensitive or overly aggressive, you can sabotage yourself. There's a, some research done by uh, Robert Glover, Dr. Robert Glover called no more Mr. Nice guy. And there's a point where men who are sensitive or maybe more in touch with their feelings than other men take it way too far and allow themselves to be abused, frankly, mentally, emotionally, physically abused. And then there's this opposite end of the spectrum where there's this just overly aggressive, dominant bull in a China shop guy who leaves a wake of destruction wherever he goes and actually sabotages his own efforts. So we've got to find that happy medium and play to our strengths and be willing to adjust as the situation calls for. Yeah. Which is a tough thing for some men to do, but obviously is extremely achievable. Of course. Yep. So, all right. Well, is there anything that you would like to add about, oh, uh, I would love for you to tell anything you want to tell about your forthcoming book in February. Uh, Yeah. So we've got the book coming out February 1st. It's called Sovereignty and it's called, uh, the subtitle is The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. At the end of the day, we, we, I, I really wanted to put together a book that is going to help men recapture their masculine spirit and drive and take possession and ownership of their lives. Uh, there's too many men out there who are giving away all the power they have to impact their own lives in the form of excuses and placing blame and their arrogance, and they actually do themselves a, a, a disservice. And it's creating some major problems in the family unit, in the community, in the businesses in which they're operating. And so my job is to help them wrestle control and, and be sovereign, which if you look at the root, root root word of sovereign, it's to reign, to reign over your own life and to be the ruler and king of your domain. And that's the book that we've put together. So you can find it, depends on again, when this is being released, but orderaman.com slash book. And if this is released after the book is available, it'll take you right to where you can pick up your copy, orderofman.com slash book. Cool. And again, you can find all things Ryan of Order of Man on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, as well as Ryan Mickler on Facebook, M-I-C-H-L-E-R. Ryan, seriously and sincerely, thank you so much for taking the time out to make this podcast a possibility. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Thanks for having me on. You're doing good work and I'm excited to be a small part of it. Thank you. Okay. And that is my entire conversation with Ryan Mickler. Humongous thanks to Ryan for really being extremely generous with his time coming on the podcast If you check out Ryan's podcast, make sure you check it out. Order of Man is the name of the podcast as well. And you can see that he has some amazing guests. So in lieu of that, I know that I'm not kind of the typical person that he might be having on his show. So an even larger thanks to Ryan for coming and being a part of this show. I I really enjoyed his perspective and liked the unique ideas that he brought Those of you who know me and maybe those of you who are starting to get to know me a little bit better because of this podcast, I'm not the manliest of men. I readily admit it and people know and I'm an emotional fellow and I'm in touch with that and I'm okay with it and I just wanted to get a very different perspective and as this podcast is for you guys it is for me as well a big learning tool i love learning uh, from new people having different types of people on that give me a different perspective and allows me to enrich my life and make my life more full and expand my uh, mental emotional horizons also to all of you 
So make sure you reach out to him on Facebook or on Twitter through Order of Man. Let him know. If you love this episode, let him know. And you can let me know through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram, through email, through the website. The website's daddyunscripted.com and it's Daddy Unscripted on all of those social media networks. And you can also continue to send me these emails with ideas of guests that you want me to have on that bring a unique perspective and that you guys want to hear their stories. But you can send those ideas to me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. So keep those coming. Again, the name of Ryan's book. And like I said, we recorded this before it was released, but it is available now is Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. While I'm thanking people, I will again thank Humphreys McGee for allowing me to partner with them to have their music as part of the podcast. Go check them out. Umphreys.com, U-M-P-H-R-E-Y. They are playing locally, coming to a town near you, not only here in SoCal, so make sure you check them out. Find the dates on Umphreys.com. Again, you guys, thanks for listening. This podcast is in the loop, and the loop stands for the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. Hold on, hold on. I gotta do that one right, too. The Legion of Osiris Podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a place where you can discover great music and culture podcasts. If you like this podcast, go check out OsirisPod.com and get in the loop. Osiris partners with Relics Magazine as well, and you should check out Relics.com for music news about bands kind of like Humphreys McGee. And I'll let you know, there are a lot of really cool podcasts in the Osiris network now. You should go and check out The Sound Podcast, hosted by Ira Haberman, which is a really cool podcast about music. There's even a new podcast on the network called Fear of a Craft Beer Planet. And I know a lot of my listeners will be very into that podcast. You guys should check out one of those podcasts and check out all of the other podcasts on OsirisPod.com or you can look up OsirisPod on Twitter and check things out. I'm really excited and really proud to be one of the burgeoning members of Osiris Network. So thanks again for listening, you guys. Thanks for all the support and for all the emails and the contact. Keep it up. I love hearing from all of you. And in two weeks, you will hear from me again with a new guest. And now to let you know how to say goodbye in Swedish, you say, hey, doll. <laughs>